0: Well, in teenage years, begin at about 10. You know that, don't you? I mean, we don't call it teens, but uh, the, the pressures and the temptations are lowering all the time because of the sad collapse of our culture. And so, parents, I, I hope that you'll be a part of that thing on Wednesday night. We're going to get right to our, our, the Word of God this morning. Try to catch up some time here. Nehemiah, please, in your Bible, the second chapter of Nehemiah. My wife and I visited the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center in Cincinnati a few weeks ago when we were in that city. This particular museum tells the story of slavery in the United States, and it recounts the history of the slave escape route that was known as the Underground Railroad. Slaves that were able to escape their their plantations in the south would migrate northward during the night, hide during the day, cross the Ohio River, and then up through Ohio, eventually get to Canada where they had freedom. Along the route of this railway, there were men and women and families who risked their lives to protect the slaves who were on this railroad. They provided safe places, not unlike people who provided safe places for the Jews in World War II, in the time of Hitler. They provided these safe places during the day, and then they guided the slaves at night from point to point. These brave people, the ancestors perhaps of some of us, lived on the very edge. It was a perilous thing to do what they did. Their lives and their livelihoods were absolutely on the line for a cause that was right. It reminded me that God calls all of us also, out of the protected comfort zones of our lives, to live on the edge. It is on the edge where he lives, and where he will meet you and me. It is on the edge where you risk yourself, where you abandon yourself to God that you can really grow to know him, where you will find the most meaningful life, in fact, that you can possibly experience in this world. Jesus said to those who were listening to him, follow me and I will make you fishers of men." What did he mean by that? He was saying to them, abandon what you're doing. Leave behind what you're living for, those things that you think make you secure and happy. And he led those disciples to the very edge. He led the way himself. Our tendency 2,000 years later, their spiritual descendants is to want to play it safe. We don't want to risk, that is, to get too radical with our faith. We don't want to cut off things or people or lifestyle that make us comfortable. If we're honest, some of us may not be that sure that Jesus is truly that relevant to our lives. He's a priority for sure in our lives. He's made the cut. He's made the list. But he's not at the top of the list. You're not going to risk for something or someone who's not at the top of the list. Others of us quietly fear that God may not come through if we venture out there too far. We can get ourselves into a predicament, we fear, that we can't control, and God may not show up. And then what will we do? And so we build in these safety zones in our lives, in our spiritual walk. We're not unique in that way. People who've come before us struggled with the same issue. Take Moses as an example. As a young man... That seemed to happen to him. But 40 years later, when he was called by God to go back to Egypt, he didn't want to. In those 40 years, he had learned some things, but he had also built in a comfort zone. You say, but I'm not Moses. I'm just little old me. I don't have the same calling that Moses had or that much to offer. Well, the fact is that you may not be a patriarch or a giant of the faith. Few of us are, as a matter of fact. You may even see yourself as insignificant in the grand scheme of things, as something that or someone that is inconsequential. But listen to the truth. No one is insignificant to God. No one. Eight years ago, Cademan's Call produced an album called Intimate. On the album was a song called Bus Driver. Bus Driver. It was written by Derek Webb. In the song, the bus driver ponders his place in life. I am a bus driver, and it's four in the morning, and I'm pressing out of my clothes beside my bed Fourteen years, been on the job, and with many miles behind, still I'm up at 3.30 to make sure I'm there on time. My car gets me along just fine to and from the station, but my castle is this Houston Metro bus. My first stop is Ashbury, and the sign's been gone for years, but all the same, the people wait because they know that I'll be there. What would you say if I told you I won't be by today? And he goes on in the song to to ponder his place in the lives of the people that ride his bus every day. And he concludes that his life is not inconsequential, that it's important in the lives of those people. And I want you to know that you are a person of consequence in the lives of the people around you. No one is insignificant with God. You, a homemaker, a a business person, a teacher, an engineer, a manager, a server, a secretary, or a bus driver. Your life belongs to God if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And He gives you significance. He gives you significance. And He has a calling in your life. He wants to birth in you a dream of something that only he can do through you. It's something bigger than you are. He desires to develop in you a vision or a purpose that calls you, like Nehemiah, to live on the edge and to experience him in new ways in your life. I have a young friend who's, whose name is Josh. I've known Josh for more than 30 years. His family attended our church uh, that I pastored in Kentucky. Josh has grown up now, he's about 30 years of age. He went to the University of Kentucky, he was the, the guy who was the mascot at the University of Kentucky, full of energy and enthusiasm. Uh, I caught him one time at a, a UK game on television. He was painted totally in blue. That's just the kind of a guy Josh is. After he graduated from UK with a master's degree, he went to work for Synergy in Cincinnati. I got an email from him that directed me to his blog. And so I went to his blog and I began to read what God is doing in his life. And this was the last note on his blog written a week ago. Well, today was my last day of work at Synergy. A lot of people have asked me how I can leave such a good job and a nice home for something so insecure. It boils down to this. In life, I believe you should do whatever you are most passionate about. People sometimes tell me things like, if, you could do anyth- if I could do anything, I would start a restaurant. A guy the other day told me he wanted to be a bounty hunter. He spends his days sitting in a cube dreaming about chasing down bad guys. I used to sit and think, if I could do anything, I would be a missionary. Well, here is a newsflash. You can do anything. If that is what you're passionate about, go out and do it. If you want to go back to school, do it. If you need to sell your big house and put up some money, do it. Quit wasting your time and start pursuing whatever it is that you have a passion about. My life has been radically changed by Jesus Christ. I have been blessed beyond measure, he writes. And I want to share that blessing with other people. I have a passion for telling people how Jesus can change their life. That is why I'm leaving my great job. That is why I'm going to Mexico. That is why I'm leaving behind everything I know and stepping out of my comfort zone. I am pursuing my passion. And if you want to be satisfied, that is what you will do too. Lead on, Josh. That's exactly what I'm talking about today. Living on the edge of your vision And your resources. God wants to develop a purpose in your life. And it may be a lifelong objective like it seems to be in Josh's life. Something that will be totally out of your your thinking culturally and job wise. But God is calling you to this lifelong vision in order to advance his kingdom. But for many others of us, God's calling may be just a piece of our lives. It may be for an hour a week or for two weeks out of the year. It may mean taking you out of your normal frame of living into something else for a while. There may be somebody here this morning that that God is laying on your heart the vision of going down south, south and helping on a work team with the, the hurricane-devastated areas. If you're interested in that, by the way, City Team has a wonderful ministry going on down there. They have a, a four-phase response to the, the devastation. They're going to be at it for six to 12 months. They need, they need money. They, they need bodies, volunteers. They need supplies. You can find out about it on the website that I have in my column in the worship folder today. Maybe that's what God's doing. That's not a lifelong thing, but it's a piece of your life, and it's out of your frame of reference. Perhaps God is calling you and giving you a vision to help create in this church an exciting life community. A mid-sized group, and you want to be a part of a team of people who are going to develop a little church within the big church. A group of people, maybe 15 or 30 or 40 or, or 60 people, as it would grow, who really care for one another and connect with one another. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do. You hadn't thought about it before, but there's this vision that God is birthing in your heart. Or maybe it's on the other end of the spectrum in a small group, and, and, and you want to be a leader of a small group and find out how to do that. Or it could be that that you have seen the children of this church as they go out each week to Sunday school or to Power Zone and you say to yourself I wish oh I would just love to be involved in in teaching children in being in their lives and God's giving you a vision for the impact you can have in the life of a child or a group of children do it if that's God's vision in your life it's just a piece of your life but do it Perhaps God is calling you to to make some friends for heaven's sake and to reach out to your neighbors in some fun ways, some new ways that will stretch you. It's a vision you hadn't thought about before, but God is giving you this dream. Maybe it's making room in your family for a foster child, or it's adopting a child from another culture. What are you seeing? What is the vision God is giving you? What are you feeling about it? What is God saying in your heart as you connect with him about that burden, that dream that is there? God loves to birth dreams in our hearts that are bigger than we can handle by ourselves. And it's only when we respond to those visions and step to the edge of the comfort zones of our life that we're really going to know God. Vision happens when you deliberately step out of on the edge of your life and you look out to see what God wants to show you and you feel about that, how God feels about it. And then you ask him what you should do God's blessings happen on the edge. When you abandon yourself to him and you experience him then in new ways, that's Nehemiah chapter 1. What we're going to see today in Nehemiah chapter 2 is that God calls you, God calls you to risk the resources he has given you. God calls you to risk the resources he has given you. I'm going to begin reading with the last statement of chapter 1, where Nehemiah says, I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, so by this he tells us that the time frame is March-April 444 B.C. Or 445 B.C., rather. He says, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, what is it you want? Remember, Nehemiah had received this burden from God for the city of Jerusalem. He heard about what the city was like. It was in ruins, and the people were in disarray and oppressed, and he wept. He felt about that like God felt about it. And he turned to God and he prayed and he connected with God. And now God is leading him to the next step of living on the edge. And that is putting his own resources at risk in this vision. There are four life-changing observations that I want to make about the first nine verses of chapter 2. The first observation is this. You are made by God with purpose. In other words, God has an assignment or a series of assignments in mind for your life. Everything about who you are has been fashioned by God. Your parents and heritage were fashioned by God. Your appearance and personality. Your abilities and skill set Your opportunities, your experiences, all of that is fashioned by God. Now, what do we learn about Nehemiah from the text? What is the background of his life? How had God fashioned Nehemiah? Well, we learned that he was the son of Hecaliah, back in the first verse. His father's name means wait for the Lord. Nehemiah had learned that. They had given him his unusual name, the Lord Comforts. It is a name that is God-centered, and it shows his Jewish family heritage. And it focuses him, every time he hears his name, on God. Well, that's as much as we know about Nehemiah's growing up. We don't know if Nehemiah had a wife or family. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, done about 250 years before Jesus, suggests that he was a eunuch. Now, that wouldn't be a lifelong goal of mine. I don't know about you. It probably wasn't his either, but that's how God fashioned his life. God allowed that, perhaps, to happen to, to uh, Nehemiah so that he could be in the role that he needed to be in for God's purpose. My point is, whatever he looked like, whatever his family situation may have been, Nehemiah had been fashioned for this moment, just as Esther was fashioned for the moment in the book about her. You've come to the kingdom, said her uncle, for a time such as this. Nehemiah had been prepared for this moment. Who are you? What are the circumstances of your life? What are the fingerprints of God in your life? What are the ways in which you are different, which you are unique? Because it is in those things in particular that God designs you to be you. You are intended for something bigger than yourself, for a task that is God-sized. He's fashioned you for it, as he fashioned Nehemiah for this moment. Second observation is this, you are resourced by God for the task. Here's a basic lesson in life, that God never calls to a task without providing what is needed to accomplish it. He did with Moses. We won't take time this morning to go back and read Exodus chapters 3 and 4, where Moses is called by God and he responds, but it's a tentative response. And he feels that he doesn't have what it takes. And he tries to get away from God's purpose. And finally, God God, uh, shuts him up and he says, I've made you just the way you are. I will be with you. God will be with you. He has given you the resources that you have. He has given you the, the physical and mental capacity that you have the relationships that are in your life. He's given you your income or the inherited wealth that you have. He has provided for you the job where you work or that position of influence that you have in the community. It is God who has given you your ability or the skill that you have. It is God who has placed in you as his followers spiritual gifts. God fashioned your personality in a particular way. And God gives you your time. That's one way in which we're all equal. He gives all of us 24 hours a day. All of these resources of your life may be put at risk by God's calling. If you will live on the edge, you must be willing to risk those resources. Now, in Nehemiah's case, he was the cupbearer of the king. Now, he was a Jew in that position. Isn't that interesting? It reminds us of Daniel, who lived perhaps a hundred years before this uh, and more, and who was in a high position in a Gentile government. And here we have a Jew who is the cupbearer to Artaxerxes I of Persia. He was trusted. The king had great confidence in any man who was his cupbearer. He tasted the king's wine and his food before he ate it to be sure that it was not poisoned. He was responsible for the safety of the king and the queen. So in that sense, we might say that Nehemiah was the head of the secret service of Artaxerxes I, the most powerful man in all of the world. And here's Nehemiah protecting his life. And now he has been in his reign some 20 years. As the cupbearer, as the head of the secret service for Artaxerxes, he had direct access to the king. Not very many people in all the world had that. It was privileged, it was rare. And so it seems to me that his primary resource is his position of influence, it was the job that he had and he had to risk it. God places resources into your hands also. Not to be comfortable, not for self aggrandizement, not to play it safe, not to retire into disengagement with his work, but he has placed whatever resources you have into your hands to use in his calling, in his vision that he is placing upon you. When God gives you a vision, look also for what he's given you to get started. Look around and see what resources God has provided for you that you might carry out the vision and use them. And if, in fact, you don't have the resource to get started toward the vision, then perhaps you need to go back and see if you really understood the vision. Because you are resourced by God for the tasks that he brings into your life. Observation number three, you are called to live on the edge with God by faith. The resources that you have, your position, your influence, your skills, your abilities, your money, your wealth. None of those things dare become the end in your life. They are given to you as means to the end, which is God's purpose for you. And if you're going to realize that purpose, you must go right to the edge of your life and risk those resources what God has given you, and trust him in doing it. Don't allow yourself to build a comfort zone around yourself with those resources, but make them available to God and to his purpose. To realize a vision, you will face risk that will stretch your faith. You must. Nehemiah used his position and his influence with the king, and it was a huge risk. It required a a great step of faith on the part of Nehemiah. He was in the king's presence and he looked sad. That was a no-no. No one was ever to be in the presence of the king and the queen and be anything less than absolutely happy and joyful and humorous. But Nehemiah had a sad heart and countenance, a huge risk that could have cost his life. The king noticed and responds, and Nehemiah shares with him what's on his heavy heart, and the king says, how can I help you? And notice it says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, he had prayed before this, folks, but he takes a moment right now to breathe out this prayer. Oh, God, help me now. Help me now. And he says, I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. And the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? In other words, he said, go. How long will you be gone, Nehemiah? When are you going to come back to me? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. You see how he risked here? And he acknowledges that he was afraid in verse 2. I was very much afraid. Whenever you risk yourself, whenever you move to the edge of your life, you're going to be afraid because that may be new territory for you. Some of us have never lived on the edge. Nehemiah was afraid, but he prayed. And God gave him courage. You see, courage is not the absence of fear, it's the power to overcome fear. G.K. Chesterton wrote about courage. He said, Courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live, taking the form of a readiness to die. Then he quotes Jesus He that will lose his life, the same shall save it." it, is not a piece of mysticism for saints and heroes. The paradox is the whole principle of courage. A soldier surrounded by enemies, if he's to cut his way out, needs to combine a strong desire for living with a strange carelessness about dying. He must not merely cling to life, for then he would be a coward and would not escape. He must not merely wait for death, for then that would be suicide and he will not escape. He must seek his life in a spirit of furious indifference to it. He must desire life like water and yet drink death like wine." Reminds me of Paul on his way to Jerusalem. He had a vision. God laid it on his heart that he needed to take relief to the the poor saints in Jerusalem. And he pressed to go there, and people warned him as he's traveling back, there's going to be problems, Paul. You're going to get in trouble. There's going to be suffering ahead for you. And Paul said, I don't care what happens to my life. He said, the one thing I want to do is to finish the course that God has set out for me. That's the Spirit. It's not just Paul and Moses and Nehemiah, but it's you and me too who are called to live on the edge with God by faith. And finally, you are supplied by God for success. When you release to God what you have, what you have, he releases to you what you don't have. Nehemiah put it all on the line for the sake of the cause. And he says in verse 7, I said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy? And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests, And so I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. You see, Nehemiah risked what God had given him. And when he dared step to the edge with that and give it to God, God said, this is my opportunity. And he came through and he gave Nehemiah everything that he needed, including a bodyguard to protect him on this long journey. You are supplied by God for success. When you make available to God what He has given you, you open the door to God's abundance in your life. And the converse is true also. If you hold back what God has given to you, you will not experience God's abundance. I want to challenge you to live on the edge with your resources. It's risky, it's risky, but there is no place in the world that is more secure than on the risky edge with God. J.I. Packer, the great theologian in language that is very unaccustomed to him, says, it needs to be said loud and clear that in the kingdom of God there ain't no comfort zone and never will be. Now, that doesn't sound like a theologian, but that's what he said. In God's kingdom, he says, there ain't no comfort zone, and there never will be. And so, if that's true, I have to ask myself as I sit in my comfort zone, how far am I from the kingdom of God? I would sum up what I pray is your response to this message in just a couple of phrases. What do you do with the resources that God has placed in your power? The influence, the position, the abilities, the skill, the spiritual gift, the personality, the money, the wealth, whatever it is God has given you, what do you do with it? Answer, don't hold back. Don't hold back. Give God your best. That's it. Don't hold back on anything. Give God your best. I have before me today a letter that was written by a Southern Baptist missionary to Iraq. Karen Watson grew up in Bakersfield. She served the Lord in a number of countries, but before she left for Iraq, she wrote a, pa- a letter to her pastor and assistant pastor in her church, the Valley Baptist Church in Bakersfield. She sealed it and she said, Don't open this unless something happens to me. The letter was dated March 7th, 2003. One day, one week, and one year later, she was killed along with four other missionaries in a drive by shooting in Mosul. They opened the letter. Dear Pastor Phil, Pastor Roger, you should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory my reward. One of the most important things to remember right now is to preserve the work. I'm writing this as if I'm still working with my people group. I thank you all so much for your prayers and support. Surely your reward is in, your reward in heaven will be great. Thank you for investing in my life and spiritual well-being. Keep sending missionaries out. Keep raising up fine young pastors. In regards to any service, keep it small and simple. Yes, simply just preach the gospel. Be bold and preach the life-saving, life-changing, forever, eternal gospel. Give glory to our Father. And then she inserted a little poem. It's entitled The Missionary Heart. It says... Care more than some think it's wise. Risk more than some think is safe. Dream more than some think is practical. Expect more than some think is possible. She continues I was called not to comfort or to success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving Him. I love you too and my church family. In His care, salam, Karen. She risked it all. And she would say to you and me today. was worth it it was worth it let's pray father we are so prone to build into our lives lots of space for comfort and pleasing ourselves and for using the resources that you have put into our hands for toys and fun And for enjoying ourselves and meeting our needs and not being part of the kingdom. I pray that as we study Nehemiah, every one of us will learn to live on the edge and will make that commitment to do so. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed right now and as the worship team comes to the platform, I want to ask you where you're seated, just in the quietness of your heart to say, Lord, Teach me to live on the edge. Now that may be a great step of faith for you because you don't even know yet what that might mean. Or maybe God has already begun a burden in your heart and a a vision is about to be birthed through your tears and your prayers. I don't know where you are in that process of vision, but this I know, that you will never experience God as he wants you to experience him until you step onto the edge of your life with the resources that he's put into your hand. Don't hold back. Give God your best. Amen.